Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike. But be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. It was 8 a.m. and bitter cold. A strong wind was blowing from the west, whipping snow like a torrent down Main Street, and the temperature continued to drop as the sun refused to appear. It was a dark morning in Dark River. Shielding his face with his arm, Patrick fought the snow all the way to work. When he finally reached the telegraph office, he was so covered in white that he was almost indistinguishable from the weather around him. Still, he found the handle of the front door and pushed it hard, hearing the crack as the ice around it gave way to let him in. He slammed the door against the wind behind him, and took a deep breath as a chill swept his body. Shaking his head and rubbing his arms for warmth, he stepped away from the door, the snow creeping in under the doorway behind him. Patrick couldn't help but smile in spite of the weather. Every time he came in to work, he knew he was in for a long day, yet that didn't bother him. He loved his job, and he still couldn't believe he had been one of the lucky few to get it. This wasn't some trade that any dumb brute could learn. No swinging axes or heaving logs for him. No, he wielded far greater power through the mere tip of his finger. He had always been strong in school, and had always been picked on for it. He couldn't remember a time when he wasn't consuming copious amounts of books, and his reading and writing skills were top-notch, even at a young age. He had excelled in English, and, although he had no idea where it was going to lead him, he had vowed that he would somehow make a profession out of it. 
His childhood dream was to create a whole series of stories about the changes taking shape in this exciting time. But he soon gave up the idea as he realized that folks were too busy living in the experience and wouldn't care to read about it. Perhaps someday. It was one of his teachers who had first mentioned telegraphy school to him as a potential avenue into the professional world. When he had found out that it was down south in Toronto, he had hesitated, for he loved Dark River and didn't want to leave it for a busy city. But no matter how much he tried to talk himself out of it, he couldn't resist the allure of a mysterious new profession in a faraway place. It felt a bit like he was traveling into the mountains to learn great magic from wizards. And that's partially what it turned out to be. Well, the magic part, at least. This new technology allowed something that was not even conceivable to the human imagination. Real-life telepathy that anyone with the skills could both send and receive. Once the Dark Trout Mine had been established on the northwest tip of Dark Trout Lake, just outside of town, the telegraph office appeared on Main Street. The area was booming, and with the race on for prospectors and men seeking riches beyond their wildest dreams, there was massive demand for news of strikes and disasters alike. And what better way to send the message to the outside world in a flash than through the telegraph wires. Patrick's timing had been impeccable. He couldn't have mapped out his path to this job any better if he had been able to predict the future. Within a month of finishing his training in Toronto and returning to Dark River, he was hired and was now a telegrapher in his hometown. It was like learning another language all over again. Messages were sent and received through a Morse code straight key, which looked a bit like a friendly mousetrap, one that you wouldn't mind approaching with your finger. It balanced on a fulcrum that kept the end suspended, waiting to have pressure applied to it. Telegraphers would send messages through a series of taps called dots and dashes. Everything about the message was directly proportionate with everything else, which allowed skilled telegraphers to send messages much faster than ones who were just learning. They used the International Morse Code Standards. The length of a dot was one unit of time, as was the space between parts of a letter in a word. The length of a dash was three units, as was the space between letters. And finally, the space between words was seven units. Each letter of the alphabet had its own unique combination of dots and dashes that identified it, as did the numbers 1 through 0. In this way, entire messages could be spelled out and written down in real time on the other end, by the telegrapher receiving it. Patrick had never imagined that so much could be expressed through the touch of a finger, or that pressing a button in a variety of patterns could have such an incredible impact on the world. Nor, for that matter, would he have ever dreamed of being able to make as much money as he did. The job paid a full $100 a month, making it one of the better-paying jobs that could be found. He half-joked to himself that if he ever wanted a promotion, 
he would have to be one of the men who struck gold rather than one of the men who broadcast it. But that was hard labor, and with the boom happening, it was a cutthroat endeavor that made relatively few rich compared to the number of men that attempted it on their own. No, this was the work for him. The telegraphers operated out of the Temiskaming and Northern Ontario Railway offices in various towns and sent messages back and forth to each other as a direct and immediate method of communication. The Dark River TNO office was quite small and had only a few desks in it, one of which was Patrick's. Shivering, he took off his coat and hung it on the back of his chair before setting his bag down by the side of the desk. No one else was in yet. He was early, as usual. He liked being early. There was something satisfying about knowing that he was the first in, and often the last to leave. With the continuous gold strikes happening at the Dark Trout Mine over the past week, he was working from 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. some nights. It was an unforgiving schedule, but he didn't mind. The pile of telegrams on his desk somehow looked larger than it had when he had left it last night. He removed his gloves and cracked his knuckles. The others would be in soon. For now, though, all was silent and still. Tap. Patrick reached down into his bag and pulled out his Morse straight key. It was a bunnel steel lever key, which was a new type developed to be lighter and easier to carry around, as it was not uncommon for telegraphers to switch between offices in various towns. Patrick worked exclusively at the Dark River office, and it was not a matter of wanting to be prepared to be summoned elsewhere that caused him to carry his key around with him. He simply couldn't stand the idea of leaving his communication companion behind when he left each night. Telegraphers formed a strong bond with their straight keys, and Patrick was no exception. He stared at it. It lay waiting for him, extended, as if the knob were reaching to take his hand. Sometimes, it almost seemed as if it had a life of its own and simply commanded his finger to action. He sat down and connected it to the sounder. He had heard of other offices using the inker, which created visual representations of the Morse code on a long strip of paper. But his ears were good, and he could easily understand the music of the machine when it tapped to life. Tap. An incoming message. He snapped his attention to the sounder, ready to write down what he heard. But it was still. A single dit. The letter E. That was odd. More should follow as there was no secret code that he was aware of which would cause anyone to send a single E anywhere. Perhaps another telegrapher had hit his straight key accidentally. It was early morning elsewhere, too, after all. He waited a moment longer to confirm that there were no incoming messages. All was silent. Slowly, he looked around. The office was dark and quiet. The only sound he could hear was the wind roaring outside. The others would be in soon. 
best get to it if he wanted to get a head start. Tap. Another E. This time he stared hard at the sounder, watching carefully for the slightest movement. It looked like a tiny version of a Roman aqueduct, with two black drums on either side. But no current was flowing through it, for it was as still as the dead. He suddenly had a chilling thought. What if it wasn't the sounder that was making the noise, but rather something tapping at the door to be let in? He couldn't quite figure out why that thought gave him the creeps, but the last thing he wanted to do was invite more frigid air in when it was already as cold as ice in here. He should really get a fire going before anything else, as tempting as it was to dive into work. He was kneeling by the stove with the logs roaring to life in front of him when he felt the hairs on the back of his neck bristle as if something was behind him. Slowly, he looked over his shoulder, but saw nothing. Only the room as it was a minute ago. Although, he couldn't quite place his finger on it, but a warning signal was going off in his head. He scanned the room again, but there was nothing there, save for his bag and coat hanging off the back of his chair, with the arm resting on the... He nearly stumbled back into the stove and narrowly saved himself a nasty burn by catching his fall with one hand. His eyes were locked on his desk and the arm of the coat draped towards the straight key. He was certain that he hadn't left his coat that way. He crossed to the desk and stared at it. The cuff was resting directly in front of the knob, just as it would if an arm were occupying it. He brushed the sleeve away. Tap. This time he didn't just hear it, he saw it. It was so quick and small that it was easy for him to dismiss what he had seen as a fluke or a trick of the light, but something in him knew better. The straight key had moved. One quick pulse, the E again, if that's what it was. He looked to the sounder, but it was still. No, it had definitely been his key. But how was that possible? Had he clipped it with the coat when he had brushed it away? Tap, da, da, tap. The pause that followed seemed like an eternity, as Patrick's pulse raced, and his mind tried to make sense of what he'd just witnessed. It was already on to the next letter before he realized that it was now forming more than just random clicks. Tap. Duh. A. Would it stop there? The key confirmed his suspicion before he could finish the thought. Duh. T. At? Was it the first part of a sentence or a larger word? He continued to watch as the straight key pulsed of its own accord like the twitch of a bony finger. Tap. Duh. Tap. R. The next few letters materialized in the air before him, as if pulsing a fog into the room. And through the fog, Patrick stared in horror at his own name. The straight key 
had directly acknowledged him, then stopped after the K and remained still, as if waiting for him to respond. He didn't know what to do. Turn and run? He nearly did. The only thing that stopped him was the frigid weather outside and the fact that he would have to put his coat on to brave it, the very coat that had spooked him earlier. He no longer trusted it and was now trapped. The straight key waited with infinite patience. There was nothing for it. As absurd as this was, Patrick had no other choice. He couldn't turn away now. He approached the desk and slowly sank into the chair, never taking his eyes off the knob for a second. He didn't even dare blink. It hovered there on its pedestal, as still as ice. It felt just as cold as Patrick pulsed out his question. Who are you? He had no idea if he had stumbled upon a new application of this modern technology, the ability to speak directly with the dead. Could that even be possible? Then again, who would have thought telegraphy to have been possible in the not-so-distant past? So was communicating beyond the grave through it really so far-fetched? He felt something graze his shoulders, and he was so intent on the straight key that he almost ignored it, and he would have were it not for the fact that, out of the corner of his eye, he caught the shape of two long arms embracing him from behind. He looked down and saw the sleeves of his coat snaking their way across his chest. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we'll return to the Telegraph office. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming every three weeks. So follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy your time in this haunting town, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're new to town, thank you for jumping in with our most recent work. But now, let's see what the straight key has to say. He looked down and saw the sleeves of his coat snaking their way across his chest. With a scream, he jumped up from his chair, the message from the key all but forgotten. Blind terror had its stranglehold on him, and he tore across the room, pulled open the door, and was met by a sheet of cold white. Tap, tap, tap. Duh came from behind him, and he felt fabric brush across his neck, and he hurled himself into the white, slamming the door behind him, and the cold enveloped him as he tore down the street, and the buildings faded from view as his vision clouded, and he stumbled along, his limbs becoming blocks, his hands claws. Frantically, he turned back to get out of the storm, but the gale was hurling snow directly into his face, and he couldn't see a thing. 
His world was slowly fading from white to black, and all the while the wind whipping around him, tearing down the streets of Dark River, out towards the forest and beyond. Back in the T&O office, all was silent and still, save for the tap, da, da, tap, da, da. Then the straight key ceased all movement. Fifty kilometers north, in the town of Holborn, a sounder jumped to life and the telegrapher at the TNO office barely had time to transcribe it before the message vanished. With a shaky exhale, she read what she had written down. The message was short. Telegrapher disappears in Dark River. They never found out what happened to Patrick. He simply vanished. Patrick's ghost quickly became town folklore, for on certain windy winter mornings, just before the sun rises, people in Dark River swear that they can see the shape of a man through the squalls, and a dark form following him. Some believe it's a phantom. Others say that it looks like a long winter coat with its arms outstretched. There is, however one detail that always remained consistent. When the other staff of the Dark River TNO office arrived later the morning that Patrick disappeared, they found his bag resting next to his desk. What they didn't find was the fabled straight key that sent the message to Hallborn. And to this day, on those same winter mornings, Folks swear that they can hear a sound accompanying the ghost. The sound of a straight key, tap, tap, tapping away, trying desperately to tell its telegrapher to S-T-A-Y. Inside, one last time. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Sutka. I also produce the show as well as compose the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Crisp Sutka. For more history of small town life in northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram at Dark River Podcast. Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or mechanical is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by, and see you soon.